Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. All right, so this is the season, you know, the time of year when you run out of money before you run out of friends. And see, for me, I like to celebrate Christmas 12 months a year. And thanks to minimal monthly payments on my Visa card, I can do exactly that. One year I lent my Visa card to my daughter, and then on Christmas Day I opened my gift, it was a pair of socks, and she said, it's not much, Pop, but it's all you could afford. <laughs> so every Christmas I do something, I, I, think, I, I think it might be a unique, because here, here's the thing, and you probably all know this, out of all the biblical stories, there's no narrative more familiar to people than the Christmas story. Everybody knows it. Christians, non-Christians, they know about Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth, and they know about the trip on the donkey to Bethlehem, and the manger, and the stable, and the star, and the wise men, and the shepherds. And, you know, there's not much of that story that people don't know. So then what I do is I always try to bring it and make it kind of interesting and try to find some novel approach to tell a Christmas story. Well, one year, a number of years back, I tried something really out of the box, and I didn't even go into the Gospels. I preached my whole message out of Revelation chapter 12, and I talked about the fiery red dragon getting tossed out of heaven, and I called it the last Christmas. What I should have called it was a very scary Christmas, (laughs) and I basically uh, frightened everybody about the end of the world and the devil and all this thing. It was really kind of not my best work, and uh, I'll never forget, because Pastor Keith, and we miss him so dearly, but Pastor Keith used to correct me. uh, Aren't you glad someone did it? And uh, he always did it very gently. And he said, you know, Mark, he said, uh, people don't come to church on Christmas Eve to be terrorized (laughs) or traumatized. I said, what are you talking about? He said, that was a bit dark and brooding. And I said, well, what, what should I have done? He said, you need to do warm and fuzzy. People want warm and fuzzy on Christmas Eve. So I said, okay, Keith, I can accept that. Next year, warm and fuzzy. Well, the next year came around, and I'm preparing my message, and I'm thinking, what did Keith tell me to do? And instead of warm and fuzzy, I remembered light and fluffy. And I thought, if he wants light and fluffy, he's going to get light and fluffy. And so I basically stood up, did a comedy routine from beginning to end, told joke after joke and story after story. I threw in that birth of Christ thing in there somewhere. And at the end of the message, we had two, we had two sermons uh, that, that particular Christmas Eve. And Pastor Keith comes up to me and says, Mark, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing light and fluffy, just like you told me to. He said, I didn't say light and fluffy. I said warm and fuzzy. There's a big difference between light and fluffy and warm and fuzzy. And I went, oh, warm and fuzzy. I did light and fluffy. And that's all I got. All I got is light and fluffy. We're going to another service. And all I got is light and fluffy. And so then my kids and, and wife and kids hadn't come to the first service, and we only live five minutes away, so I went and picked them up. Kids are in the back seat. I'm driving, and I'm telling Kathy this story. I said, Pastor Keith told me, warm and fuzzy, I did light and fluffy. All I got is light and fluffy. My kids are in the back. They listen to every word I say. So the service is starting. I'm just about ready to go up and preach my message. I go up on the stage. My family's sitting in the front row. My daughter's at the end. She's sitting beside some stranger in the front row. I'm just about to preach. She turns to him, taps him on the shoulder and says, where do you get a hold of this? Pop's going with light and fluffy. (laughs) Kids, you know. Oh, my goodness. So we'll see where it lands today. Because today my Christmas message is entitled, A Star Struck Christmas. Now, I think we're probably all familiar with that term, starstruck. 
That's when you meet a celebrity and you think you're going to act a certain way, but you're kind of thrown off guard and you're a bit discombobulated. And oftentimes you're, you're reacting in a way that you didn't think that you th- thought you would. And sometimes you act kind of stupid. But that's being starstruck. And let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had a chance encounter with a celebrity? How many in the room? Anybody? Oh, a few bunch of hands going up. Why, why don't the rest of you have your hands up? You've all met me. For goodness sakes. And, you know, I've been kind of blessed. Maybe it's a blessing. Maybe it's a curse. I've actually met a lot of celebrities. I've met prime ministers and premiers. I've met movie stars. I, met, I ran into Clint Eastwood when I was 18 years old. Uh, sports stars. And I've sort of encountered all these famous people. But more often than not, it backfires on me. So let me tell you this crazy story. So we're on tour. We're doing this, this meeting in, in Edmonton, and we're doing our, our thing, our dog and pony show we do. And we're in the beautiful Jubilee Auditorium. There's a big crowd there, and I just finished preaching to this crowd. And I was standing out in the lobby, and this man came up, and he shook my hand, and he told me how he enjoyed the, the, the evening. And just as soon as he came up, this, this is what you need to know about the story. The man shaking my hand was Jerome McGinley. And Joe McGinley was the captain of the Calgary Flames. He was the captain of the Canadian team. He was the single most recognizable hockey player at that time in Canada, Canadian hockey player. And so he's shaking my hand. He said, nice job. And we're, I'm chit-chatting with him. I'm not recognizing him. I guess because he didn't have his helmet on. Who knows why I didn't recognize him, but I did not. And just as he came up to shake my hand, a crowd gathered around us, and people pulled out their phones, and they were starting to take pictures. And I'm looking at all these people taking pictures, and I thought they were taking them of me. And I'm going, oh, I'm really something special. <laughs> well, look at boy, this Edmonton crowd. They're really digging me. The whole time I'm thinking that, eh? And I'm smiling and shaking this stranger's hand, you know, thinking all these pictures are for me. And then, uh, so then I turned to him, and I said, Oh, what did you say your name was again? He said, Jerome. And I said, hey, nice to meet you, Jerome. His wife was standing right beside him, and she was a little annoyed. And she turns to me and says, Jerome, as in Aginla, as in Jerome Aginla. <laughs> and then I went, oh, this whole time I thought these people were taking pictures of me. They were actually taking pictures of him. And I missed out on my moment because I didn't realize this. And it reminds me so much of the story when the, uh, Jesus was coming in on Palm Sunday. It was the triumphal entry and he's riding on a donkey and the people are cheering and they're saying Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're throwing down palm branches in front of him. Imagine for a moment if the donkey thought that was all for him. That was my moment with Jerome again love. And what I'm trying to point out to you today is a lot of times that's what happens at Christmas. We have this amazing event that is focused solely and specifically on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so often our focus gets off. And instead of being starstruck, we actually get our focus on ourselves. So I'm going to show you an amazing starstruck story from Scripture, one you all know. But we're going to read it anyway. It's about the wise men following the star. And so here it is. It's Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born, born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. 
So then we know what happens next. They called the scribes and said, where is this child supposed to be born? And they said, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So that's the next part of the story. We jump down to verse 7. It says, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now, let me ask you a question, first of all. Uh, Is that what Herod intended to do, to go to Bethlehem and worship the child? No, he was going to go to Bethlehem and kill the child. That was his determination, but because they didn't go back and report back to him, he didn't know who the child was, so he put a decree out to the land that every child, male child under the age of two, would be executed. Talk about a genocidal maniac. I mean, this is an unbelievable part of the story, and that's, of course, why Joseph and Mary and their child fled to Egypt. But here's what I want to focus on for a moment, because these wise men were starstruck. They had seen a star, and they had followed this star, And it's possible that God could have supernaturally put a star in the heavens, right? Could have supernaturally put it in there, had no relation to any actual celestial event whatsoever. He just made them see a star. Maybe they were the only ones who saw it. But we have the benefit of 2,000 years of of, uh, astronomical history. And they actually, because the planets and the solar system all moves in an orderly fashion, they can actually rewind the clock and they know what happened 2,000 years ago in the heavens. And it turns out from about 7 BC to about 4 BC, there was celestial events happening in the heavens, particularly over the Middle East, that were extraordinary, unusual, and rarely repeated. And specifically what had happened, they know, starting in 7 BC, was something called a triple conjunction. And so let me just throw it up on the screen here so you can visualize it, because we had one just a couple of years ago. Uh, In December of 2020, uh, there was this event, they called it the Great Conjunction, and what had happened was Jupiter and Saturn in their orbits ended up lining up one in front of each other uh, as we view it from Earth. And that was in December. And when that happens, uh, these two planets, even though they're not stars, they put off light from the sun. And when they come together, you get this incredibly bright event. And then in January of the very next year, so a few weeks later, it actually became three objects lined up together. And that's called a triple conjunction. Very rare. Happens only every six, eight hundred thousand years. We had one uh, in 2020 and 2021. But that's exactly what happened, a triple conjunction in uh, uh, the spring of 7 BC, way back when. And it was most viewable from the Middle East. And just so you have an idea what it looked like, this is the actual picture that was taken uh, at the 2021 event. Uh, that was over Argentina. That was the best place to view that particular event. And it was so bright and so extreme that they think that it's an unknown object. 
So we look back at these wise men. They were obviously people that looked at the stars, studied the stars. And all of a sudden, there's this super bright object in the sky to the west of where they are. And they follow this star. Now, understand this, that they wouldn't have known the difference between a planet and a star. They're both giving off light, right? So they're following this thing. They call it a star. It was probably a planet. There was a whole bunch of different events in there. Here's the thing that most people don't think about. Everybody else would have seen that same thing. We know for one thing that the event was actually memorialized on a coin from that age. And here it is, picture of the coin. If you look at it carefully, the, the one side of it on the right there, you have a ram looking backward to the star. And that event was, or that coin was recording that event. The ram is Aries. And Aries was the constellation in which the star or the event took place. And it was looking back to that star. Now, the wise men understood this, that because this star, and they believed, their belief was, that if a new star appeared, then that meant a new king was born. And it was the king of the Jews because the star had appeared in the constellation of the ram, which is known as Ramses. And each one of these areas, ancient nations, had a constellation that was related to it. So they knew what was going on, even no, nobody else did. Now, the question is, how come they knew what it meant and nobody else did? I'll tell you why. Because they were wise men. That's why. So that's a little bit of history on that. The thing to remember is that everybody would have seen it, but they wouldn't have known what it was. And so these men were starstruck, and they followed this star. They were obsessed with it. We know that they could have been following that star for up to, what, two years, right? Given the, what we just learned there. Uh, we don't know exactly how long, but they were so focused, so specifically focused. And I want to show you a little verse that kind of clarifies this. It's from Numbers chapter 24. Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, this is what it says. Numbers 24, verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It was prophesied that a star would rise up out of Israel. Now the wise men didn't know that, but the Jews should have. And they went and followed, whereas the Jews did not. And we know as we look into scripture that it says this in the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the bright and morning, bright and morning star, right? And so, simple point that I'm making is that Christmas is all about the appearance of the star or the newborn king or the newborn savior. So my grandson is now four years old. He's having a four-year-old Christmas. And uh, they look at Christmas a little bit different than they do at my age. And he has been completely obsessed with the gifts under the tree. So much so that this is what he does, or he was doing, was he was going around and he was, if you'd go over, he'd pull every single present out from under the tree and he would tell you to whom it was from and to whom it was going. And then he'd put it back and grab the next one. He went through every single present. We've seen him walking around the house with presents from under the tree that aren't his. So many times as he manhandled those presents that my daughter had to start rewrapping them because he was destroying the paper. And here's his, how his little four-year-old mind is working. He is so focused on the presents under the tree that he hasn't noticed the star on top of the tree. And that's really a metaphor 
for some of us. We're so caught up in the parties, so caught up in the things, so much caught up in the trappings, so caught up in the, in the tinsel and the tree and the lights and the eggnog and the gathering and the presence that we've forgotten about the star. So much so people have become so busy that ma- the majority of Christians don't even go to church on Christmas anymore because they've been so focused on everything that surrounds the peripherals. And just for the record, my grandson does not get this obsession with gifts from me. I'm just telling you, I'm not the gift guy. I'm the worst guy. Because I don't like anything, pretty much when people give me gifts, I rarely like it. It's terrible. I'm, I'm confessing it as sin, frankly. And it's so funny, they, when we have a draw and they get me, they go, oh no, I got pop. He hates everything. They dread giving me gifts. And so, you know, I try to be gracious. I mean, I work really hard at it. When I'm opening gifts on Christmas, I have this mantra going on in my head. It goes, pretend you like it, pretend you like it, pretend you like it, pretend you like it. I have to remind myself, no matter how dreadful it is, I'm going to like it. <laughs> you say, you're a terrible person. I know. So I have a story to tell you about this. So one, one Christmas, my daughter gives me, true story, this hat. Check this out. Look at this hat. you're clapping I'm not sure why my daughter gives me this hat let me tell you something about this hat this this hat you can't make this hat look good on you no matter how you wear it it looks stupid this hat and so I'm opening this hat I don't know what's in the parcel I'm opening up the present and I'm saying to myself pretend you like it pretend you like it pretend you like it and I open up this gift and I see this hat and I put it on my head I can't believe it and I should have said I love it but instead out of my mouth I turn to my daughter and I said what were you thinking? Were you drunk? <laughs> I said, I'm not a dairy farmer. What am I going to do with this hat? <laughs> I thought that was the wrong thing to say. For the record, my daughter is fine now. After 10 years of therapy, she's, she's recovered nicely. She's doing okay. <laughs> so anyway, the other day I was putting up the Christmas tree lights outside. It was like 15 below. So I put on the hat. And my daughter saw me in the hat. And she went, Pop, you do love me. I said, yes, I love you, but I still hate the hat. The only times I get to use it are like when I'm fixing the barn door, milking the cows. <laughs> it's a ridiculous gift, and even you believe that. Now, that aside, we, we have to get our eyes off of the presents and remember that that's not what Christmas is about. Christmas is about being star struck, looking at the star on the top of the tree. And when we look at the uh, wise men, they were obsessed with the star. Were they not? And when we see through scripture, I could tell you story after story about how when people encountered Jesus, they were actually starstruck. I mean, think about Saul of Tarsus. He's off killing Christians, persecuting the church, being a regular man. He encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus. And who remembers what happened? He saw a bright light shone upon him. and He fell to his face, trembling and shaking and said, Lord, What do you want me to do? He went from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle, the chief of sinners, to the chief of the apostles. Why? Because he was starstruck. And here's the thing I want you to understand about being starstruck for Jesus. See, when we are starstruck with a celebrity, we get usually thrown off guard a little bit because we feel like that person is so far above us and so so much more special than us. And what we forget is that when Jesus came to earth, even though he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, even though he was the creator of heaven and earth, even though everything we see 
the entire material world, the universe, which is expansive from uh, 13.67 billion light years from one side to the other with more stars in it than there are sands, uh, grains of sand in the earth. Even though he created all that, he came and was born as a baby in a manger. And he says, I call you my friend. And the thing that should really strike us and be starstruck about is the fact that the God of the universe has come to earth as one of us. And that should blow us away. He is not some transcendent, distant, impersonal God that we cannot relate to. But he is a living God that took on human flesh and dwelt among us so that we could relate to God. See, that's how Christianity differs from all the religions of the world, right? He's not some impersonal God. He's not some indifferent God. He is a personal living God, Emmanuel, God with us. So I want to tell you a little story about this, because a few weeks ago, I told you how I had this encounter where I played tennis with the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan. And I just made reference to that, probably was bragging. Uh, But I want to tell you the whole rest of the story, which I said I would, because frankly, I was a bit starstruck. How I ended up playing him tennis is a long and boring story that I won't tell you. I just need to tell you what happened when I did. So I had this gig where I was going to play him in tennis in three days from now. And I'll just be honest with you, I was a bit starstruck. And I was thinking about, I'm going to play the ambassador. I kept on saying to Kathy, can you believe I'm going to play the ambassador? She would mock me and go, oh, look at you. You're going to play the ambassador in tennis. And I realized the closer I was getting, the more intimidated I was getting about it. To the point on the day that I was going to play him, I said to Kathy, so what do you think I should wear? (laughs) Are you going to play the ambassador? And she said, I would recommend shorts and a (laughs) t-shirt. You're going to play tennis. I know, but which shorts and which t-shirt? And I realized I'm starstruck. I'm a little bit intimidated by this encounter. And when I showed up there, I just didn't know what to expect. You know, I'm playing, did I mention I was playing the ambassador? And so when I get there, I realize it's true. I come from a different world. Or actually, more specifically, he is from a different world than me. He actually was the U.S. ambassador all the way from Bill Clinton for every president to Donald Trump. He had spent many times in the White House. He had met world leaders, heads of state all over the planet. He ran the world's largest U.S. embassy in Afghanistan through the Afghanistan war. He lived in embassies. He drove in in chauffeur-driven limousines and had a security detail on him 24 hours a day. He told me story after story. He was actually based in Canada at the U.S. consulate in Vancouver for a season, and he played golf with Jean Chrétien and Bill Clinton. And I'm thinking, he is from a completely different world than I'm from. This is the picture I want you to see. But when you both get into shorts and T-shirt, you can't really tell the difference. And we sat down that day after our match, and we chatted, and we communed, and I thought, you know what? There's something familiar about this guy and then I realized do you know how he puts on his pants one leg at a time he was just another human being and he was a prince of a man he was very congenial and very friendly and personable and uh, we really got on great and all of a sudden it dawned on me that that's how Jesus came to earth 
He was the God of heaven. He was from a different world. He walks on streets paved with gold. He was the creator of heaven and earth, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet he came down to earth as one of us and he calls us his friend. And it's like the words from that song, Hark the, the, the Herald Angels Sing. And the one line goes like this. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, the God of heaven, coming and being one of ours, us so that we could have a personal relationship with him. Isn't that a fantastic thought? I feel like you got that. So here's what I want to do. So we have the wise men. They show up. They're starstruck. They've been following this star for, for how, who knows how long, months, maybe years. And they bring Jesus gifts. Everybody knows gold, frankincense, myrrh. But what we don't think about was that Jesus gave them gifts. You know what those gifts were? Here it is, thrown up on the screen. The gifts of a star-struck Christmas are peace, joy, and hope. And the first thing that he gave us at Christmas, he, it, it's announced right to the angels. Peace on earth, peace on earth, and goodwill towards all men. That was the gift of Christmas to each one of us. So I want to tell you a story about this, true story. Uh, Near, get, nearing the end of the Second World War, 1944, on Christmas Eve, there were three American soldiers, and they got caught behind enemy lines in Germany. And uh, they were lost from their platoon. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know where their lines were. They were going through the woods, and they came across this, this remote home. They went and knocked on the door with their guns drawn, and a German woman came to the door. Her name was Elizabeth Vink. And she lived there with only her 12-year-old son, Fritz. And they held her at gunpoint and they said, we're lost from our company. We need a place to to stay the night. We need food to eat and water to drink. And she looked at them and said, it's Christmas Eve and you arrive at my doorstep with guns. You may come in and have Christmas with us, but the guns go into the barn. Not on Christmas Eve. You're not bringing guns into my house. They went, oh, okay, <laughs> you, know, you know, hell has no fury like a woman scorned, right? And so, so they took the guns and put them in, in the barn and came in, and they were getting ready, and she was preparing the meal, now for five, not for two. And there was another knock on the door. She goes to the door, and what is there but four German soldiers with their guns drawn. They, too, are lost and have a similar story and want to come in. And she says, you can come in, but not with those guns. Not on Christmas Eve. You put them in the barn. So they went and dutifully obeyed, put the guns in the barn, and come back into the house. And to their surprise, they're sitting down to Christmas dinner with three American soldiers. And as the night progressed, they ended up eating together, saying grace, and singing Christmas carols after the meal. They all found a place to sleep in the house, and in the morning they sat down together, the Germans and the Americans, and they gave gifts one to another, took gifts out of their bag. And one of the German soldiers gave one of the American soldiers, his name was Ralph Blank, gave him a compass and told them how to get back to the American lines. And then the, they went and picked up their guns in the barn and departed in different directions without killing each other. Well, what happened was Fritz never forgot that moment. How could you ever forget a moment like that? How could you ever forget a Christmas like that? And as he grew up, he moved to the United States, and he decided he was going to look for and see if he could find those men or one of those men from that night. He thought they got to be here somewhere. How hard could he be, be to find them? 
So he looked and looked and searched and searched. And by 1995, it's, it's 50 years later, he still hasn't found them. And the TV show that some of you remember, Unsolved Mysteries, decides to pick up the story and run the story. So they run the narrative, just as I told you, on television. And there's a woman who works in a nursing home in the state of Maryland. And she hears this story and she realizes that one of her, the men in her nursing home, Ralph Blank, is that man. He tells that story all the time. So she contacts the television show. They arrange to fly Fritz now. He's an, an older man into the Maryland and the two of them meet in the nursing home. Here's the picture. And we have Ralph uh, Blank on the left there, older man. We have Fritz on the right. And he's so happy because this dream that he's carried in his heart for over 50 years has finally been fulfilled to find this man that he had met so many years before. And then the most remarkable thing happens. Ralph Blank sticks his hand in his pocket and pulls out the compass that the German soldier gave him over 50 years before and said, I never let it out of my sight because I'm always reminded of the courage and compassion of your mother that saved my life that night. And Fritz said this, he said, told the TV show this, he said it was the greatest moment in his life and that's why he had spent his whole adult life trying to find these men or at least one of those men. And here's the point that I'm, I'm going to make. He, he was starstruck and what he found was peace. And see, if God could bring peace on Christmas Eve into that home with two soldiers that were sworn enemies of one another that would kill each other, how come he can't bring peace to us today? And I look around us today, because he said, peace on earth, goodwill towards all men. And I look, and I don't see people at peace today. I see so much anxiety. I see so much confusion. I see so much fear. And I understand it. How can you not have fear when you're being bombarded by the news every night, and we're being told COVID and variant and deaths and, 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 and restrictions and lockdowns and racism and inflation, and we're getting bombarded with this. And I look around me, and people are so uptight. And I'm thinking to myself, of all people, shouldn't Christians be the most at peace? You say, but it doesn't make sense to be at peace. Well, isn't that what it says? A peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that doesn't make sense. That's what he gives us. And of all people, if we can't be full of peace at Christmas, who can be? I was meeting last week with a discouraged pastor. And uh, he was telling me how he's struggling in his church to deal with the restrictions and the lockdowns and the rules and the regulations he was going on. And finally, he just said, I'm so angry about it. And I started laughing, probably the wrong response. I started laughing and I said, explain to me again, which one of the fruit of the spirit anger is because I've forgotten. And I think if, if pastors, if Christians aren't at peace today, then maybe we've really lost sight of what Christmas is all about. So the first gift, of course, is this gift of peace. The second gift that we have from him is joy. And I love the picture. It says these wise men who would have been tired, would have been dusty. Maybe they were hungry. Who knows? And they showed up at the manger, a very inauspicious locale, to say the least. But when they found this baby lying in a manger, a feeding trough, it says they rejoiced with exceeding great Joy. You see, there's something different about joy from happiness. I've told you many times, so I'll only take a moment on this. But happiness and joy are are similar in a lot of ways, but there's an important difference. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to you about intrinsic value and extrinsic value. 
And intrinsic value is that which is more internal. And joy is more internal. Joy comes from within. And joy isn't about what happens on the outside. Whereas happiness is an extrinsic value. It's something that has to do with the circumstances on the outside. And the problem with happiness is because it's related to circumstances, it's fleeting and it's ephemeral and it's there for a moment. And if something good happens, we're happy. And if something bad happens, we are sad. Whereas joy comes from within and joy can last even when something good isn't happening. And you see, it's a funny thing about happiness because... You know, happiness is not wrong. The Bible actually promises you happiness 30 times. And there's some great verses there. I mean, you know, for example, it says, happy is a man who finds wisdom. That makes you happy. Happy is a man who eats the fruit of his labor. That makes you happy. Happy is the man whose quiver is full. Meaning, happy is the man who has children. That makes you happy. How many of you have kids? Made you happy, right, for a while. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of this story when... Uh, when I was younger on Christmas Eve, one Christmas, my uncle, he was actually my dad's cousin, he showed up for Christmas in his RV. It was a brand new RV. And I'll never forget that RV pulling up in front of our house, this huge, brand new, beautiful RV. And then my uncle, or cousin Eddie, <laughs> came out of the, the RV. And I remember looking at that and I say, wow, that's an incredible, incredible motorhome. He said, it's a, it's a Butte Clark, uh, uh, Mark. I'm making references to a movie. I hope you're following me on this. Anyway, I was just so thrilled with that motorhome. Well, the next year he shows up again. Cousin Eddie or Uncle Eddie shows up again the next year without the motorhome. And I said to him, where's the motorhome? He says, let me tell you something, Mark. He said, the two happiest days in my life were the day I bought it and the day I sold it. And anyone who's ever owned a motorhome probably knows what I'm talking about. And I was thinking the same where it says, you know, Happy is the man whose quiver is full. Happy is the man who has kids. I was thinking about the same thing is true with that. You know what the happiest day of my life was? It was the day that my wife came home with our children. The second happiest was the day they moved out. <laughs> People are giving me the thumbs up. And so here's what I'm trying to land on this is, is that the joy is something that doesn't have anything to do with the externals and everything to do with the internals. I want to just wrap this part up with a story. And I read this story. I'll tell you where I got it. It's, for, it's Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul. And it was the story of Jill Roberts. And it was a Christmas time. And she was really in trouble. She was a single mom. She had twin daughters. And she was out of work. And they were really broke and really in trouble. And the school knew this. And the school put together a hamper for the family. And they delivered it one afternoon, and there it was. There was a ham in it, and there was all these goods, and there was these nice treats in it. And on top was two Barbie dolls, one for each of her twin daughters. And she was so thrilled that the school had thought of her, and she took the two dolls and put it into the closet and hid them. Just then, the two daughters arrived home from school, seeing the big hamper there. And they said, what's this? And so she's explaining to them, the school realized that we were poor, and so they put together this hamper for us. And the two girls looked at their mom and said, they must have made a mistake. We're not poor. We have everything we need. This must have been meant for Juanita down the street. She's poor. She has five kids and she just arrived here from another country. And the two girls, much to, to mom's horror, they took the hamper, put it in their wagon and took it down the street and gave it to Juanita. And she couldn't believe that her Christmas just went down the street in the wagon. And then that night... They had craft dinner, 
And in the morning, they opened the two Barbie dolls. And she's writing this story, Jill, and she said this. She said it was the leanest Christmas we had ever had. But she said it might have been one of the most joyous because we got our focus off of ourself and onto somebody else. And somehow that brought joy into our hearts. And I've told you this before. If you want to be happy for an hour, take a nap. You want to be happy for a day, go fishing. You want to be happy for a week, go on vacation. You want to be happy for a month, get married. You, 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 want to, you want to be happy for a year, you win the lottery. But if you want joy in your heart that will be there year after year after year, you know what you do? You start doing things for other people because it is more blessed to give than to receive, right? You start doing things for other people. You start living for a purpose greater than yourself and you will discover a joy when we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto others. When we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him, we start to rejoice with exceeding great joy. So the first thing is peace. The second thing is joy. And the last and the final thing is hope. So it's 1972, and Don and his wife Nancy, uh, he's a military chaplain. He's based in Bangkok, Thailand. And the Vietnam War is still raging on, and it's Christmas Eve, and she's in this non-Christian country. She's away from her home, and she's feeling homesick, and particularly homesick at Christmas. She's got no family. She's got no friends. There's no Christmas tree. There's no Christmas in a Buddhist country of Bangkok. There's nothing to celebrate that feels Christmassy whatsoever. They feel alone. She feels separate. She's, there's a war going on. And she's just feeling so distant. And she goes to bed on Christmas Eve. And in the middle of the night, or what seemed like the middle of the night, it wasn't totally the middle, but it was late at night, her husband wakes her up and says, I have something that I want to show you. And he was the chaplain in Bangkok where people kind of staged and came and went as they were going to the wards. The, uh, and, and he ran the base, uh, the chap, chaplaincy on the base, the U.S. American base. So he wakes her up in the middle of the night and he says, I've got a surprise for you. So she says, what? He said, get dressed, try to look nice. Uh, we're going somewhere. So she gets dressed in the middle of the night on Christmas Eve and he gets dressed up and they walk down the street and they're heading towards the chapel. So here they are, it's you know, 30 degrees Celsius out, it's a hot, sweltering Bangkok night, there, it's Christmas Eve, there's nothing that looks like Christmas anywhere in her sight. They go towards the chapel, and when they get to the chapel, she realizes the chapel is full, and it's packed. They walk into the chapel, a service in the middle of the night, in the middle of Bangkok, has already begun, and she looks out, and what she sees is Bob Hope sitting on one of the, the pews in the chapel. And there's a service going on, and they're singing Christmas carols. And Bob Hope, who actually did the USO tour in Vietnam every Christmas, he gave up every Christmas for himself from 1964 to 1972 to go and entertain the troops in Vietnam. Missed every Christmas of his own. And he was about to fly out back home on Christmas Eve, flying out of Bangkok, and he heard about this chapel, and they did a quickly arranged chapel service, and who should show up but Bob Hope. And so she was just absolutely thrilled, and he sang Christmas carols with them, and she started to think about it, and she thought, I got no Christmas tree, no Christmas, no family, no friends, I got no gifts under the tree because we don't have a tree, but she says, the one thing I have is hope. (laughs) And you all got the reference there, but she wasn't talking about Bob Hope, was she? She was talking about the hope in her heart. And see, that's what Christmas brings. Christmas brings us this hope 
that really is beyond anything else. And you know, the gospel of hope is a simple, simple matter, really. It's just, I've lose so many people, but here's how it works. You see, we're all in trouble. We're without hope, without Christ in this world. Because our first father and mother, Adam and Eve, they, they fell in the garden. They ate of that fruit. And we don't like the fact, we say, why should I be punished for their sin? Well, the good news is you're not punished for their sin. The bad news is you're punished for your own sin, and you have plenty of it. And you have inherited their sin nature. And as a consequence, we are in this terrible predicament. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And if you're willing to admit it, and some people aren't, we all know we're sinners, and we all know we're far from God. And God looked down at the world with these broken, fallen people, and it says it displeased the Lord that there was no mediator, there was no one to stand in the gap for him. Therefore, he sent his own right arm. Therefore, he sent his son into the earth. Therefore, that child, Jesus, was born, Emmanuel, God with us, in that manger, and everything changed. And he was born to die. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We have been reconciled to the God of heaven through the birth of that child and subsequently his death. That is what this story is all about. That is the gospel of hope. And we should be starstruck with that child. And we should remember every single Christmas with that is the meaning of this celebration. Because Jesus is the reason for the season. And wise men still seek him today. Let's stand together. I need you to do one last thing for me before I dismiss you. And uh, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if there are people in this room today that have not invited Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. I'm not asking you if you've been to church. You're in church, so I know, you, I know that part. But have you made the decision? Have you been starstruck? And if you have not been starstruck, If you have not made that decision to put Jesus in your heart and invite him to be your Lord and Savior and Master and King, today I want to give you that opportunity. And I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly. But with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you'd like to make that decision, nobody's looking around, I want you to just slip up your hand and let me know. Anybody today that would say yes to that, just let me know by slipping up your hand. So what we're going to do is we're all going to say a prayer together. To close this off. If you raise your hand, say it with us. Even if you didn't, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to the earth as Emmanuel, God with us, born in that manger, born that you may die. And you died for my sin, and you washed it all away, and you rose again on the third day, and you forever live to be my Lord. My personal Lord, my friend, my Savior. And today, this Christmas, I'm starstruck because I have a relationship with the King of Heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a shout, shall we? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. 
For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app. 